What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside episode 1002 of the Tall Can Audio podcast. Make sure you're following us on social media at Tall Can Audio. Matt Robinson here with you today alongside Steve Bunda. What are you saying on a, a Sunday afternoon, man? Oh, man, just, uh, you know, relaxing currently right now. And I had to work this morning, so just uh, jacked up after, you know, a big weekend of sports and, you know, a lot of fun last night with the UFC, which we'll get into. How about you? How are you doing this weekend, Matty? You know what? Holding up pretty well here. Um, it's, uh, you know, been a, a nice summer weekend. We only got so many of those left, right? I think we're only two weeks away from Labor Day now at this point. So you kind of savor them as best you can at this point. And lucky for me, I don't have to keep the ungodly morning hours that, uh, that you do. Uh, you mentioned that we got a lot to cover here. The Red Blacks lose again. Huge night in the UFC. Uh, the Calgary Flames continue to make a little noise. The World Juniors wrapped up. There's a bunch of stuff we can touch on, but you know where we like to start, man. And uh, what are you sipping on today? Well, and I didn't make the rookie mistake this time, Matt. I don't know how many times, but I saved my beer <laughs> to right now. And I'm opening up. Um, my boys, as usual, Stray Dog. Boombox Side B, that's a nice crushable IPA, session IPA. So it's uh, one of these things. Uh, the owner, Mark, he's a good friend of mine, but I always chirp him. But when they make these crushable IPAs that go down like nothing at 4.2%, I'm like, man, I'm just, I can hammer down like 10 of these. Yeah. It wouldn't be like a normal IPA that's 7 or 8%. It's just one that tastes so good. And man, it's tasty. Those are the ones that get you in trouble because you don't feel like you're, mm-hmm. you're struggling, right? And then all of a sudden you've, you stand up after you've had six or eight, and you're like, okay, right? <laughs> oh, man, it's so tasty. But, uh, yeah, how about you? I got one sitting over here. I've been working over the course of the weekend through this uh, mix pack from the uh, Refined Fool Brewing Company down in Sarnia, and it's an IPA mix pack, and uh, our buddy Joshua, he uh, he brought that over. I don't know why I just called him Joshua. I'm pretty sure that's the first time in my life I've called him Joshua. It's always been Josh, <laughs> but uh, whatever. Um, after we wrapped up episode 1000, he uh, he brought this by. Much like yourself, the week before, you stopped by with some stuff from uh, from Stray Dog. He brought this stuff from uh, Refined Fool as uh, just kind of a gift to, uh, to mark the occasion. So I saved it, and uh, I've been working through it here this weekend. This one is a... Uh, you said, uh, you know, a lot of the IPAs got a little higher percentage. That would be this one at 7.6%. It is mm. a, uh, a brute IPA, and it is called Zane has lost, Zane lost his avocado, sa- uh, avocado bag. I don't know what that means, man. You know there's a story behind it. I guess prayers up for Zane because that sounds, that sounds rough. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've never had this one before, so we'll see what that's about. Maybe while we're at it here, man, not a bad time maybe to say, Thoughts and prayers to our buddy Graham Creech, who is no doubt dealing with just an apocalyptic hangover today. Uh, <laughs> we had uh, passed the invite to him, but uh, he knew he was going to be in in rough shape. So uh, thoughts to him as well. But yeah, this is going to be, uh, like I said, from the Refined Fool Brewing Company. I don't know if you've tried much from them or not, but uh, they do a bunch of IPAs. I'm trying to get more into that scene. So this is their brewed IPA. Zane lost his avocado sack. I think I've seen that can before at an LCVO, and I'm pretty sure... I might have bought it. I don't know if I drank it or if I gave it to somebody as a gift, um, as a gag, or I think I might have got it for my ex-girlfriend who likes avocados as a joke. Right. But I can't remember, and I don't remember if I ever tried it. So I hope it tastes good for you, buddy. Yeah, not bad. It's uh, kind of citrusy, which is sort of what I would have expected. It doesn't have, uh, I don't know, doesn't really have the avocado flavor. I'm not sure if that's what they were going for. But Brewed IPA has a... uh, a lot of things going on in there. So um, we'll see how that goes. It's uh, on the first poll. Pretty good, man. 
Let's, no uh, chunks of guacamole in there. No, thank you. That'd be uh, that'd be the <laughs> end for me. Uh, we'll hold the UFC talk to the end because that's got you and I very stoked. But it's not for everybody, so we're going to hold that off a little bit. Let's start with the world of hockey because it's it's August, man. Why wouldn't we talk hockey in August? Um, the Calgary Flames make another signing. Nazem Kadri does seven years uh, times seven million dollars. There was a lot of talk, man. That you know, the, the longer the summer had dragged on after free agency opened, that. Maybe he was going to find a way to stay in Colorado. Maybe they were looking to clear some space for him. Then the conspiracy theories came out that, you know, Lou Lamorello was doing some of his dark magic there on Long Island, and uh, he just wasn't announcing it. And all of a sudden, we find out that it's Calgary. They trade Sean Monaghan's contract to Montreal to make some room. Um, But it's been an interesting summer for the Flames, losing Goudreau, losing Kachuk, but turning around and bringing in uh, both Mackenzie Wieger and Jonathan Huberto from the Panthers, and now Nazem Kadri. Um, I don't know, man. I, I guess it makes sense. We've known for a while that the Flames like Kadri. They tried to trade for him back before he ended up going from Toronto to Colorado. Uh, he nixed that trying to stay in Toronto. He had a 10-team no trade or something like that, so he said he wouldn't go to Calgary. But he said here in his press conference this weekend that was all about trying to stay in Toronto. It was nothing against Calgary. Uh, do you like the fit? Yeah, I think Calgary is doing a lot right now to try and take advantage of that, you know, that division and and better themselves, right? You look at that series against the Oilers and, you know, they just, there was times where it was, it was fun and it was crazy, but I feel like you add another agitator like Nazem Kadri to that mix. You already have Blake Coleman there. So Calgary's slowly building a little annoying team (laughs) that can go in and get in the face of a guy like Connor McDavid, who we've seen a couple of times, you know, when he was in Colorado, when they played, well, he wasn't shy to get in McDavid's face. And, you know, there was the, I think it was an overtime winning goal where he was, uh, you know, he was getting into it with uh, color when he was with Colorado. And, you know, those two uh, were having a bit of a a back and forth and Kadri went down and scored the game winner and i remember just Connor mcdavid being absolutely furious about it but no for the fit i think it's good like this is a t- you have elias lindholm there now some Kadri, michael backland you know you you're slowly seeing dylan dubay get in, into the mix as well so this is a team that is uh you know they they had that uh, div- that like i said playoff series against the oilers lost but they're not uh they're definitely wanting to get better so i'm expecting a little bit more of a feisty side from that uh, Calgary Flames team that already has a guy like Milan Lucic who's washed <laughs> up and really doesn't do much anyways, but uh, just to get in the face of uh, that Edmonton Oilers squad. Yeah, that's going to be fun with the, the Battle of Alberta. Kadri's had a bit of a thing with McDavid dating back even to Toronto when, uh, you know, Babcock used to put him on uh, on McDavid. Very small sample size, but Kadri had some success there, and I think he liked that uh, idea of having mm-hmm. that challenge and going nose-to-nose. I think a lot of people thought, and you know, if you want to talk about agitators, if you're going to lose Matthew Kachuk, Nazem Kadri is about as good a replacement on that front as you can um, possibly bring in. But when they lost Johnny Goudreau, and then Matthew Kachuk said, "I'm also not going to be re-signing here," I think it, you know, with those two guys leaving, a lot of people thought it might be time, you know, for a rebuild, and wondering how Calgary was going to get out of this. And they might have been smarter to do that because they have signed, like both of these deals with Huberto and Kadri are for guys now into their 30s and their long term. Those contracts are going to end terribly, but they have bought themselves a few more years of of being competitive here. So I guess it's just a, you know, a question of what your approach wanted to be. But you do have one of the best defense cores in the NHL and you added Mackenzie Wieger to it, who's, you know, one of the most underrated guys around. Uh, you have Markstrom in goal, who sort of fell apart in that series against Edmonton, but in theory, he should be very good. And now you've 
brought in Huberto and Kadri to kind of replace some of that offense you lost with with Goudreau and Kachuk. I think, you know, in the long term, I think this is going to be problematic after three or four years for Calgary. But for the, you know, for right now, for going into this season, yeah, that division is wide open. And yeah, I, you know, I think they're going to be happy with what they got there. You're absolutely right, Matty. And I think the thing that we're not even giving Calgary enough credit for is you brought up their back end, like Noah Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, Mackenzie Weger, Nikita Zadorov, Oliver Shillington. Like, that's a solid defense core. And like you said, I know Markstrom didn't have the greatest playoff series, but he was still an amazing goaltender during the regular season for them. And well, and Daryl like Sutter, this, right? He likes to coach yeah. that defensive style with those guys, man. <laughs> like, it's... It's uh, it's boring, but you know what? It gets the job done. And at the end of the day, uh, I just think that this is a team that realizes that they have the potential to, you know, just if you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. We've seen it from a couple teams these last couple of years. And Calgary's a team that saw their hopes, you know, that was right there against the Edmonton Oilers in the first early on in that series. But the, it just showed that the talent was there on Edmonton's side and Calgary kind of just didn't have it at the end. Yeah. And I know they were dealing with injuries, but adding guys like Huberto, who is a monster and Nazem Kadri, who can get in the face and cause problems and be an absolute shutdown. And I like, and, and you know, Blake Coleman was already there, but I think he is just a great player to add to that. And, you know, like I said, there's still enough guys there that can get things done. So I think that this is a team that's very deep. Uh, I agree with you. I think they're on a, a very much older and it's going to be a bit of an issue come a couple of years from now, but for the next couple of years, they're built to play against the Edmonton Oilers, who are a team that's up against the cap and can do nothing right to figure out their own defense. No, exactly. And, you know, we've seen Vegas get themselves into cap hell and have to lose uh, uh, Pacioretty this offseason. So that division mm-hmm. is is wide open. Um, I think Daryl Sutter is probably going to like a guy like Nazem Kadri. Um, that'll be a nice match as well. And, yeah, I, I don't think Calgary went into this offseason, you know, planning to lose Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau, but um, they've managed to turn this around and and dig themselves out of what was going to be a really deep hole, or at least kick the problem down the road a little bit. Um, Speaking of kicking things down the road a little bit, we saw the World Juniors in uh, back in December get called off due to uh, all kinds of COVID problems. They fire it back up here in August. It... Man, it was cringeworthy to begin with. There was no one in the crowds. Um, it had no vibe whatsoever. And honestly, for me, I it, it wasn't getting a lot of attention. I wasn't really feeling it. I did watch a bit more of it as it went on. Um, the gold medal game drew a good crowd, as you knew it would. In Edmonton, um, you're playing for gold. It's now a Saturday, as opposed to asking a lot of the people to... Uh, you know, most of those Canadian games were starting at 4 p.m. on a weekday. That's that's rough, right? Local time. So not really blaming the fans for it, but it just it didn't have much of a vibe. But we did see a really interesting gold medal game. Canada blows a two-goal lead to Finn out of Finland. Um, it goes to three-on-three overtime, which to me sucks in a gold medal game. I don't... I'd rather they just let them keep playing. But if we're going to do the three-on-three thing, holy shit, that was an entertaining three-on-three, man. It was wild to see that game... Uh, the final few minutes of it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I was, uh, I was struggling for myself to get into it early on. Like you, I got more into it as the tournament went on. But I do have the confession to make of, yeah, I fell asleep uh, yesterday afternoon <laughs> after work for a little bit in knowing that there was a UFC card that was going to go late and having to wake up early this morning for work. I made sure I took a nap. I missed the first about. 
period and a half, and I caught the end of the game and overtime, end of the third and overtime, as I was also watching Buccaneers preseason football because, <laughs> you know, I just got to make sure that my squad is good for when Tommy comes back from his, sab- his sabbatical. But, um, yeah, what a game. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't like the three-on-three, but, like, like holy shit that's why we 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 like three on three right like how exciting it was and um you know the play everyone's talking about is mason mctavish's you know just crazy hand-eye coordination swatting a puck out of midair to stop a goal in overtime and then about a minute or so later they go down the ice and they bury a beautiful goal on a rebound and the fins like you know, they come back from being down two nothing and they make it a game like, you know, a crazy first goal to make it two one. And, you know, they just they were a very relentless team. And I don't know about you, but just seeing the way that, like you said, the crowd finally getting into it was good. Um, and just seeing the way that like how how it really ramped up the crowd when that play happened, like you seeing the the Finns get all excited thinking that they scored and they won the game. Mm-hmm. And it's like Mason McTavish was just so calm and cool about it. And it was just like, holy shit, how did that just go down? Well, it's Mason McTavish and Connor Bedard standing on their own goal line trying to stop it. And those are the guys that are normally about as far from their own net as they can get, right? They're putting up points at the other end. It was Mm -hmm. wild to see. For those who missed it, you know, it's all over the web. I'm sure you've seen it or or can find it. But yeah, Finland, the goal, Canada's goal, he's down and out. Finland takes a shot and, and it's Mason McTavish putting his stick out like in the midair, it's not even like it's along the ice, and batting it down, it lands on the goal line, and they swat it away and then come down and score, like you said, man. It was an absolutely wild... Like, my beef with three-on-three isn't that it isn't entertaining. It's just a lousy way to decide a championship, right? And so, um, anyway, the the tournament ended up, you know, having a crazy good finish, um, and it's funny to think we're only, like, what, three, four months away from doing it all again at the this year's Christmas event in Halifax and Moncton. Uh, a bunch of those guys will be back. Uh, Owen Zellweger made himself a star on defense. Connor Bedard, of course, everybody's already talking about. Both those guys eligible to return. And um, Zellweger made it sound like he badly wanted to be back. So hopefully that's uh, that goes down. But it was cool to see, man, that it did build a little bit. And that at the end of the day, because I did feel bad for those kids a little bit, right? Especially a guy like Mason McTavish, who basically had to beg the Anaheim Ducks to let him come back and play because it's so co- close to training camp. It was a bummer to watch them have to play in Canada. Like, we've seen it a hundred times when they go overseas for this tournament and it's empty buildings, right? But you're in Canada, and we mm-hmm. get it. It's August, and the Hockey Canada thing has put a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths on international hockey. It was a bummer for those teenagers to be playing in this giant, empty NHL building and have nobody give a shit. It was cool to see that when it came right down to it, you saw a full house there in Edmonton, and the gold medal game lived up to, uh, lived up to the hype, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like you said, that it's crazy to think that you know, one, it's. I feel like it was a good way to kind of warm people up too, because in about a month from now or less than that, we're looking at maybe a couple weeks. It's going to be rookie camps. It's going to be you know training camps, and then here comes the preseason, and here comes um, here here comes regular season. So it's good for hockey to get right back into it. But also, like you said, for you know, a tournament that's only a couple months away from happening again. (laughs) um, You know, I feel yeah, I do believe a lot of that hockey camp. Canada, what's going on right now with the you know sexual assault cases and how a lot of it really rubbed people the wrong way and affected the crowd and attendance but at the end of the day you know there was fans there to support Canada and I, you know like you said for guys like Kent Johnson scoring that game winning goal in overtime getting his own rebound and burying it Mason <laughs> McTavish the captain of the team having that crazy play talking about it like just seeing 
them, you know, from a Sens point of view, you know, Ridley Gregg was having an amazing tournament and every, like he missed the last two games with the shoulder separation injury, mm-hmm. but, you know, seeing him come out onto the ice and lift that trophy, like it's a memorable moment. And, you know, for, you know, Sens fans talking about Red, Ridley Gregg, it's, they want like seeing him play so far, he was one of the most dominant players in the tournament up until he got injured. And then it's like, oh, like this guy needs to be in the Sens lineup come September, sure. October. Needs to be, yeah, kind of Get that excitement. Yeah, and then it's like, well, you know what? Like, it'd be awesome if he was the captain or something like that. Coming, <laughs> you know, in a couple months from now, if if he doesn't make it, you know, not the let's rush him into you know the Sens lineup kind of thing, but he's definitely put himself in a spot where he looks like a great prospect to have and a guy that uh, you know is skyrocketing his own value at the Sens organization. So, from a local Sens por- uh, uh, point of view, there was just so much excitement with him and a stop check both on that lineup. And you know, I, I do believe, like I said, the Canadian you know fans still got back. And, and watched it and I don't know, it was an exciting finish. Like you said, you couldn't ask for a better finish to a gold medal no. game. I agree with you. The three on three isn't something I love. It is, like you said, entertaining. We're both on the same page when yeah. it comes down to that. I don't like it at the same time. It was just like the way it all transpired and less guys on the ice, just how crazy that kind of stuff doesn't happen. So, you know, you kind of, you just deal with it and you, sure. you, we can, we, if Canada lost, we could have got grumpy with it <laughs> and through, I threw a bit of a fit, but I feel yeah. like that's what they're doing in Finland. Maybe, today is yeah. They're all complaining about the three on three. <laughs> and, uh, and who can blame them? Like you said, it's, it's entertaining. It's just a lot. Just let them play. Just let them play. Right. We do this in the NHL, the, the three on three, it's fine in the regular mm-hmm. season. We don't do it in the playoffs because it's just not the way you want to see these things decided. Um, why don't we talk? Because something else got decided this week, man. We the last time you were on, we talked quite a bit about the Deshaun Watson case, and uh, I want to get into the Red Blacks here in a little bit. But before we do, we'll stay on the football thing. And um, he gets eleven games. It's a suspension negotiated between the league and the players' association, uh, and Deshaun Watson basically. Um, I guess an arbitrator had given him five. The league wasn't happy with that. It wasn't anywhere near enough, and they were correct about that. I don't think a lot of people are satisfied with 11 games. It also comes with a $5 million fine. I don't know about you, man. Maybe you have a better handle on this. I don't know where that $5 million is going. If it's going into the league's pockets, then who gives a shit? Um, If it's going to be donated to, you know, some causes related to the things that he's done, then maybe some good can come of the fine. But I think a lot of people are still pretty dissatisfied with it being just 11 games and wanted to see him get at least a year. Um, I saw the press conference late last week after this was decided. Both Deshaun Watson and the team owner, is it Jimmy Hazlitt, I think his name is? Um, They were basically giddy. Now that this had been decided and they didn't have to say all the right things anymore because the, the ruling had been made, Deshaun Watson's out there saying, no, I maintain my innocence. I stand on my innocence. I'm like, you've got dozens of women and you've settled with a pile of them. There's no evidence at all like that you're innocent, but he gets to say that now because you have to look remorseful when you're still waiting for them to throw down the the gauntlet on you, right? You have to look like you're, you know, you know trying to have the, the right, I don't know what uh, vibe or, or whatever, so that they'll take it easy on, oh, this guy understands he did a bad thing. Now that it's done, he's just like, no, fuck it, I'm... I'll see you in 11 weeks. I'm going to play uh, my old team and my first game back. The same thing with the owner <laughs> basically out there just saying, like, what, would you just hold it against this guy forever? It, it really, to me, the press conference was a bad look. What do you think of the suspension and the reaction to it? And, um, yeah, where are you at with the, the Deshaun Watson case now? 
Yeah, I'm in a spot where it's better than it was before. Yeah. Um, I, I understand why. Like the the big issue that I believe was going on is if they suspended him for the full year, he would have appealed, and that appeal process would have happened, and he technically would have been eligible to play until that all gets figured out. This was an agreement that was reached on both sides, and yeah, uh, the good they thing about it is the, his suspension. <laughs> like, yeah, and it, it sucks, but um, the fine of the five million dollars goes to um, a program that they're all setting up, but also the NFL and the Browns are both donating a million dollars as well and it's going to like a not-for-profit that's there to educate young people on healthy relationships and promote uh you know the prevention right, of sexual yeah. misconduct and assault and all that well, so that's something the money did yeah the money did go somewhere i had to look it up to make sure but i remember seeing that it wasn't going to go just to the nfl because okay. yeah, nobody needs them making any no. more money than they already do <laughs> those greedy bastards but um you know it sucks and i you know i used to be a fan of the cleveland browns you go back a couple years ago and you know ryan lindley was a quarterback he played in the nfl for a while but he also played up here for the auto red blacks and yeah. he was one of the coolest nicest guys we had him on uh, when me and creech and lee would do tsn weekend we had him in studio to just do nfl talk he shows up with a quebec nordiques hat and a metallica shirt Patty. like, <laughs> love this like that's yeah love him like <laughs> guy big beard loves to have fun i like but just real good dude but when he was uh you know he left the red blacks he got a coaching job with his former college at the uh, san diego state university and then he was brought up to coach with the cleveland browns and then there was the baker mayfield situation where i always thought he always had a bad rap you know he's a bit of a maybe immature guy but i always there was so much against him going number one to cleveland i thought miles garrett was a good player i thought you know what it's a team that's going in the right direction i was cheering for them and i was like all right now it's like i could care less if this team ever wins a game ever again like just seeing the way the ownership has always been a gong show there the last couple years and evidently so with the whole baker mayfield situation now and kind of screwing them over by trading him later in the offseason and not really caring about him and a guy you drafted first overall but then to go out of your way and do up a contract so that Deshaun Watson loses as little money as possible Mm -hmm. to go out and want to trade for a guy that has, you know, was called by a judge who gave him a, you know, the suspension originally, I think it was the five games, um, you know, called him a predator and and called him, you know, a guy like, and like you said, the innocence, I just, I hated it all. And it just, you know, it, it, it did give me some kind of, a uh, bit of a smile and feel good when I saw him take snaps in the his preseason game a week ago, and you had the fans chanting "You sick fuck" to him the whole time. Oh wow! And you could hear it very well. Yeah, I know yeah. it was good to hear that the fans were letting him know. But it was just—he's a guy that just you know—it bothers me to see there's so much evidence against him. If he's going to try and claim the innocence and all that, whatever. There's just Go no ahead, remorse dude, there at all, right? Like there's no, no. acknowledgement. No, and my, I'm a big uh, believer in karma, so I believe that it'll come back and bite him in the ass. And it sucks because I really enjoyed watching him play for the Texans, and I thought he was a great quarterback at Clemson. And mm-hmm. he, you know, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league when he was uh, playing before all this went down. But you know, to see and read all the stuff that he went through and did, and the 66 different massage therapists that he messaged over a 17 month span, like this guy has obviously got a problem. And yeah. you know, I, I'm happy to see it worse than the five game that the judge ruled and that the nfl stepped in to do something this time um i i wish it was more you know i if it was up to me i'd say i don't want them ever to be in this spot but you know you and me kind of got into it last time it bothers me how the nfl always picks talent over the right thing to do and no matter what you're gonna do like i said when i was with a bucks fan and they brought in antonio brown i hated it Mm -hmm. and it sucked 
And I'm not going to not cheer for the box, but it doesn't make me feel good knowing Antonio Brown's catching touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Meanwhile, he's got about a million things going on in his life and lawsuits. And there was, I believe, a sexual assault that he was dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like there was so much going on at that time. It's It sucks. And for me... Like I said, I hope that karma comes back and, you know, for the Cleveland Browns, you know, you see guys like Kareem Hunt get brought in after, you know, videos of him kicking a lady and then he wants to get traded and he wants more money. And it's like Cleveland Browns just don't really care. They're clearly MO is just to win games and bring in, you know, guys that are just bad dudes. So I don't like it and I could care less for them moving forward. And, you know, I wish there was more done by the NFL. I understand why they had to do this and they wanted to keep him off the field. So, you know, you know, there's not much hype for me to see him go back against a a Houston Texans team with David Mills at quarterback. And I don't even know who anybody else on that roster is. Like, I mean, I do, but it's just like, you know, it's just, there's not a lot of hype for that. Well, and that's the skeptic in you too, right? That's sort of like, really, you've timed this suspension to end just in time for him to play his old team like you're right the Texans I don't know there's not much there to talk about but that that game will be TV ratings that will be the storyline you're like well we better make sure he's back in time for that you're kind of like there's just Mm -hmm. a skeptical party that's like look if it if he was supposed to play Houston in week three you'd go okay well there's no way around it he's going to miss that or whatever but when you're negotiating this and the players association's trying to get it to be as few games as possible and the league's maybe pushing for the season or for 14 or 15 games, and they get down to, well, 11, that lines them up for week, whatever it is, 12 or 13, because there's the bye week in there. Yeah, and he'd play the whole, that'd be good for TV, right? Like, there's just a part of me that's like, the NFL's fucking gross, and they're fine mm-hmm. with the fact that, you know, make sure we get them back at least for that game and uh, try and make some money out of this thing. And that's all it is, is who wants to really sit down and watch Cleveland Browns versus Houston Texans in week 13? (laughs) Right. When both teams might have a combined two wins (laughs) if they're lucky. Like, it's a spot where they realize, hey, you know what, like, it's it's going to be a game where it's a storyline, like you said, the the return, but it's going to be the eyeballs of his first game back against his yes. former team and yada, yada, yada. Like you said, it's kind of gross. And like I said, I, I love the NFL. It's, sure. it's my favorite sport. It's my number one. Like, I love the box, but my number one is the NFL. Fantasy football. I love college football. And it just it bothers me to see the corruption one so much in the NCAA. But in the NFL, like you said, it's just so gross. And to see how they just, you know, they protect the owners. When you look at what happened in Washington, you look at all the stuff that happens over the years to the players that are either just, you know, doing the wrong things, whether it's domestic abuse, sexual abuse, and, you know, just about anything you can do. Hell, you go back to, you know, everything that has gone on throughout the history of the NFL. There's always been the, you know what, we're going to do what's best for the money. And it sucks. And I hate that part of it so much. And I just wish it was better. Uh, Speaking of things we wish were better, the Red Blacks lose again on uh, Friday night under the Friday night lights. This time to the Edmonton Elks. Um, Winnable game, man, although I'm sure Edmonton was saying the exact same thing rolling into Ottawa. It's gotten bad, man. I was down there two weeks ago uh, before the bye week, I guess it was, um, when they lost to Calgary and only put up, I I can't even remember, two or three points. Like They got just spanked, and it's not even like they let Calgary run wild on them. They just could not score, and they still can't. Um, They lose another one, man, and this, this... I don't know if I've ever seen this fan base quite so it's not even mad. It's like, it's frustrated and sad when like we've talked so many times before about what a great job Oseg does down at the stadium, right? They've re-energized that place. They put on a great game day show. Um, the vibe is awesome. It's a cool place to watch a football game, 
But the fans have done their part. They've embraced that long enough. And at this point, you got to give them some wins, man. And on Friday night, it just seemed like uh, we saw Mark Gowdy there, the CEO of OSEG, come out and say this isn't good enough. We understand. But he didn't offer any real solutions. Um, You would think if there was going to be a coaching change this week, it would have happened by now, right, to give whoever was going to take over as many days as possible. So for now... I guess we're sticking with uh, with Paul Lapalise. Um, he is also the offensive coordinator, and there's a cap on what you can spend on coaching now, so that complicates things a little bit. But I think people are sick of not having any, you know, sort of consequences here or accountability as this team just continues to lose. And I guess to be fair, you're like, yeah, they lost their starting quarterback, and that does matter. That hurts a lot. But there are some talented pieces here. The new GM, Sean Burke, went out and, and made some some nice acquisitions over the offseason. It just has not panned out, man. This team is bad. Yeah, and it's very unfortunate, like you said, because you know you, you bring up losing at home. It hasn't even just been this year. It's been 19 of the last 20 home games like that they've lost at TD oh, Place. God. And do you want to know the score? Matt, I could tell you two things I remember about that night. The score was 17-3 to yeah. um, against Calgary, and you know, Bo Levi Mitchell had a very pedestrian day. Yep. That was an absolute winnable game. The defense did not give up any touchdowns. Um, you know, they gave up a field goal and, you know, there was a pick six involved. But right. um, it was an absolute winnable game. But also your tweet that, you know, you shouldn't go to a game and drink more beers than the team scores points. Right. <laughs> so that's I remember your tweet about it. And it. It was a pretty damn good one. But it's just it's been pretty bad because you go back to the game against uh, you know with calgary and like i said three points you go back to the game against the elks this past week and yeah it's unfortunate you can't lose those games against teams that are you know you asked me a couple weeks ago you know who was going to win the cfl east and i i it was right off the red blacks win against the argos and i was like you know what this is a team that's slowly trending in the right direction caleb evans is a quarterback that i think has all of the attributes to be a very good successful quarterback in the cfl there's still lots of room to move and develop and he's not going to get better overnight this is a guy that started literally last year as a rookie quarterback for the red blacks straight out of college like it's unheard of to see him start and he did last year he started a couple games and then now this year he he has a lot more reps he's starting to get a lot better but he also has still that he still has to learn a lot more and get better and you know maybe in two three years from now he will be a top quarterback in the cfl it takes some time for a lot of these americans that come up to learn the rules to learn the feel of the game to learn the motions and, and to figure it out the extra man there's a lot that goes into the game i agree with so, you. so I why thought, aren't we seeing arbuckle then like why does he refuse uh, to play that because guy? Uh, and I don't know um, personally what the the benefit. Like I understand everybody's been wanting to see Nick Arbuckle, but he's also a guy that you know when they brought him in here, he was that you know hot new toy that was sure. a quarterback sitting behind Paul Levi. There was a lot of hype for him. They traded for his rights, assigned him, uh, and then he didn't want to take a pay cut during the pandemic, so they ended up cutting him. And Paul Lapolis, who was very familiar with Matt Nichols, said, "Well, you know what? I want Matt Nichols instead." So yeah. they proceeded with that they cut him they brought in matt nichols they signed him for a little bit cheaper they were able to you know have a little bit more cap relief in that sense of it and you know you know we saw nick arbuckle (laughs) no arbuckle went to toronto and it was not very good then he was in edmonton and he wasn't doing very good there either so he's a guy that's still learning the playbook but there's obviously something there i believe with you know it seems like there could be something there with paul lapolis and 
not maybe you know enjoying very clearly you know, doesn't trust rather, them or doesn't like them or something. not trust them now yeah yeah they, it, they made the move to bring in the depth of a quarterback there and nothing against them but you know I, i'm i'm in favor of right now i do believe that caleb evans still gives you the better chance to win games when nick, nick arbuckle has been in there you know he you know doesn't really add much more it's not like he's went down I mean, he's had opportunities in the last couple of games to come in but he hasn't done anything with it either he hasn't like ripped the okay. You know what? I need to start. I believe he'll probably start this week just because you need to do something. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm with you. I'm, I was kind of surprised these last two days to not see Paul Lapolis get fired. I, I know there's probably a lot more going on, you know, behind the scenes, like you said with Cap and all that, that is probably preventing something like this. And the fact that you know, I, I believe that there is coaches on the staff that can do this. I know Bob Dice could be one that could step into that head coaching role. Yep. Uh, Mike Benavides, the defensive coordinator, he's called offensive plays before. So there's enough guys i know that uh, people are saying well will aren't is there he's very young and raw i know you don't want to throw that in there but how can it be much worse i think is the big thing is that what fans are dealing with is it's just not getting any you know any better and that's a, it's unfortunate and they announced yesterday that they are bringing back Devonte deadman yeah. who was with the miami dolphins he got caught so that lot of spark but and nothing against Devonte deadman but i love him but it's like this team you know if there's one thing that they don't need desperately, it's a return man because Terry Williams has been very good. He's Agreed, had a yeah. spark. What you do with Devontae Dedman is you bring him in. He is that game. Every time he gets a punt return or a kick return, there is that threat that he has a game-breaking ability to take you to the house. But the only thing is he better take you to the damn house because the offense isn't scoring a touchdown. That's it, man. Like, it's just, you know, it's tough. But, you know, it's exciting to get him back here. It is it is a bit of positivity to add to an already pretty deep and, and I think a very solid wide receiving corp. But I do believe a lot of it is play calling. I don't like the way that the offense is running. It's very vanilla. It's very bland. Seeing a lot of confusion on the sidelines, like, I, you know, as a sideline reporter and postgame um interviews with some of the players just seeing a lot of there's been a lot of times matt on the sidelines seeing just confusion and like not i don't want to say arguments but arguments basically between players whether it's with paul lapolis or you know darvin adams or caleb evans or nick arbuckle at times or other receivers you know it just looks like it just they're not all on the same page. It doesn't look like they're all bought in. And frustration obviously has so much to do with it when you're not able to win games and you're not able to run the ball, you're not able to pass the ball. And, you know, we did see against Edmonton that Caleb Evans, when he needed to tuck and roll, like he had a great touchdown run. Yep. Like he was able to do that. But you go into halftime and the offense there came back out trotting like nothing you know, no adjustments, even though Edmonton was starting to get momentum and scoring that touchdown before half. And that's something where Paul Apley's absolutely needs to do. And it kind of seemed like, you know, you had a guy like Caleb Evans, who's had a couple shaky starts. His confidence isn't there. I feel like they need to kind of have him use that athletic ability a little bit more. Have him do things that can make the offense easier for him. Well, it's it so feels predictable like right stubborn. now, right? There, there's It's first exactly. down is, is two or three yards on a wide out or something like that. And then exactly. you're desperate on second down and everybody knows it. And yeah, I don't know. Look, I'm not sitting here and advocating and saying the smartest thing they could do right now is fire Paul Apolise. I like Paul. I, I think he is a good coach in the league, but this isn't working right now. And they've brought in so much talent in the off season. And I'm with you, man. You're seeing frustration and you're seeing odd play calls that don't work to these guys' strengths. And I think that's a huge issue, and and one of the reasons I, you know, like I said, I'm not saying for sure firing Paul Lapolis solves everything. It, it obviously doesn't. There are issues here. But if you're not going to fire the coach, 
and you're not going to try Nick Arbuckle, and you're not going to change up the playbook here a little bit, at some point, like, I can see why fans are getting so pissed. It doesn't look like you're trying anything. We're just going to keep doing the exact same thing over and over again that hasn't worked all year. And that that's a problem. Like, that, fans have a right to be frustrated with that because you're not showing them that anything's going to be different. Like you said, I, I was excited to see uh, that Devontae Dedman is coming back, but as you said, that's far from a, a cure-all, right? I like the guy. I like the excitement he brings to the game. But you're like, all right, like... Our kickoff returns will look a little different, but beyond that, the offense is not is not fixed by this move by any means. So I get it, man. I I, I think fans have been tremendously loyal to this mm-hmm. organization. The attendance has remained pretty strong. People enjoy going down there to watch it, but at some point, you got to show them wins. And you outlined earlier, man, 19 out of the last 20 home games have been lost uh, losses. I don't know. Good luck telling your fan base, your season ticket holders at the end of this year. Why don't you sign up again? Like at some point, it's got to be fun, right? Like you're the first quarter's fun because you're you're there. It's a vibe. It's Friday night usually, or you know, a weekend thing. But as the team continues to just go down and down and down and down um, throughout the rest of the game, the buzz just dies, and and fans are sick of it, man. It was dead when I was there at the end of that that last game two weeks ago. Yeah, no, and, and that's the thing, right? You, the Boo Birds are out in the second quarter of a game because the offense isn't moving the ball. Yeah. It sucks for them. It sucks to go and spend so much money on these games. And, you know, and I, I have nothing against Paul as a person, but I absolutely believe that, he, you know, he probably should have been fired before the bye week last week yeah. and coming back in. I, I, I'm in favor of, you know what, you need to spark this team because the big thing that it bothers, I think, a lot of fans is the amount of talent. You go back to last year, and the one thing fans were, like, upset about was you didn't spend enough money in yep. free agency you don't have enough talent where is all the money going how is it so bad then sean burke comes in and they brought in a bunch yep. of free agents and they brought in a bunch of talent on offense and they reshifted pretty much a whole offensive line that for the most part hangs up well and pass pro and, and i think in running the ball but they are struggling right now i think a lot with the blitz and most teams do but it's just it's tough because you see it rattles a guy like a young quarterback like caleb evans when you know he's getting hit and they're bringing the blitz and he doesn't have enough time to kind of focus yet and i feel like this is a spot where you needed to make a move where paul apolis's offense hasn't been exciting you know you look back at when they were with uh when he was with the winnipeg uh, blue bombers and he was the offensive coordinator there it was an exciting offense to watch yeah, yeah. it was it, you know there was creativity around it you know i you don't see that it's very like you said predictable and bland and you get down to the fans and they're they see the amount of talent there and they see the amount of players that are there and they see how good this team can be and yes i get the injury to Masoli really is, course, is yeah. so tough and it, it derails. But at the same time, you can't always go fall back on these excuses of, you know, there's so much there. But I feel like with the talent on this team, Caleb Evans, whatever, you got enough there where I feel like you need to spark this team and the team isn't getting any better. There's not many more weeks left where you can, hey, spring and run to the playoffs. There's still an avenue there. Mm-hmm. It's not, not going to be pretty, but you're looking at running the table and it's not going to be easy, especially in a league where you can they get an injury. And we saw last week um, a couple injuries to some starting DBs. It wasn't good, but you know, seeing a guy like Sherrod Baltimore, he was walking off the field. He had his hamstring all iced up. I'm not sure if he'll start this week. Uh, Abdul Kana, he got rolled up on. So you're looking at a couple of your veteran uh, defensive backs that are, you know, you're starting to rack up injuries already. Yep. So, and Justin Howell was left the game with what looked to be a shoulder injury as well. I knew there was another one. Um, not sure the severity of it, but 
they weren't able to return to the game. Abdul Kana played the rest of the game, but was noticeably limping, and it was a game that was already pretty much over with. So, you know, injuries are piling up, and I do believe the spark would be there if you brought in a coach. And, you know, I, I do believe – I don't want to say that he's lost the team completely, but it does certainly look like this is a team that isn't rallying around and feeling – when I see, you know, it looks like confusion on the sidelines yeah. and, yeah. you know, players just not able to step up in these moments and just not finding that extra gear, you know, you know, there's enough veterans on that team where it's like, if they believe in the coach and they believe in each other, you see them step up in those moments and I'll put some on the players, but also your head coach needs to be that guy that does it. And at this point, I don't know. I don't think Paul Apolis, maybe he finishes up the year, but I am a little surprised they haven't fired him by now just because of the way you've seen the team and the offense, you know, progress. You haven't seen it. It's regressed completely. And it's unfortunate, like you said, for the fans. Yeah, and it's it's two separate but equally important issues, right? Like the team's performance and what you're doing to that fan base. Because we used to see repeatedly down in uh, in Montreal, right at the end of that kind of uh, dynasty, if you want to call it that, the Anthony Calvillo era, where Molson Percival Stadium was hopping every weekend, right? They decided, let's get out of the big O, except for the very big playoff games where there's no atmosphere. I used to, I grew up in the GTA when I would go to Argo games at the Dome. Look, I was an Argo fan, but it's just a shitty place to watch a CFL game, right? There's 20,000 people yeah. in a 50,000-seat building. It wasn't any fun. The, the Alouettes found a way around that at down at Percival Stadium on a university campus. They made it a place to be. Tickets were more scarce. It was only about 20,000 people, and they loved it. But once that Cal- Calvillo era started to end, it got sour, and they started having trouble selling tickets, and it wasn't anywhere near as much fun, and... You'd read reports of like people leaving in the third quarter and like staff who work at the stadium like apologizing for mm-hmm. the the bad night that you've had down there. And they're starting to turn it around. Like they're they're you know, the vibe is starting to return there in Montreal a little bit. Um their owner is actually a lot of fun on Twitter. I've reached out to him a couple times, tried to talk him into coming on the pod. No luck yet, but we'll see. Um <laughs> and you wonder about that at the Red Blacks, man. At some point, the vibe, the fun at the stadium won't be enough anymore if you know you're going to watch a loss right and this cfl fan base long before the red blacks started has been through some shit right with the renegades and the glebermans and the awful rough riders before that and they still showed up when this team came back and they rebuilt the stadium and all these things the fans came back and they have done their part and at some point you will lose them. The fact that it's just fun to be there on a Saturday afternoon or a Friday night or whatever will not be enough. And so I think that's, uh, I think they're, they're, they have problems on both fronts at this point. What do you do to convince the fan base that this is going to change? And then what you're actually doing on the field to make that change happen, man. It's, but it's a bit of a mess right now. Like I said, I've never seen the Red Blacks. I was on Twitter quite a bit there on Friday night after this game. I've never seen this fan base and the media around it and stuff quite this frustrated. Yeah, and you bring up the good point is you don't want to have your loyal fans starting to lose interest and not wanting to return season tickets and not want to go to games on Fridays and Saturdays because you go back to that inaugural year when there was a you know year 2014 when they just brought back the team and it was a two win team they sold out every game though because yep. fans were just happy to be back yep. but they only had two wins what did they do well they went out and made sure that they friggin brought in every receiver you could and they wanted out and they got guys like Brad Sinopoli Greg Ellingson Ernest Jackson uh, they traded for guys like <laughs> 
Yeah, Henry. Well, Henry Burst was already there, but he true. realized he's like, I need weapons, man. Yeah. Like, I need guys, and yeah. it, you know, they went out and they brought in a bunch of free agent guys, and they built up an offense that then led them towards a Grey Cup in their second year, and how quickly that brought in the fan base. Yeah. And then, you know, the following year they went back, at, you know, not as successful. I believe that was the year they went six nine and one or eight nine and one, and they went to the Grey Cup and won it that year in, in twenty sixteen. And you know, it just that's how successful it is. But then, you know, you're going back to the Grey Cup. A couple years later and then since then it's been just down and the vibes are down and you know they made you know they felt you know they pretty much went into a spot where rick campbell left and look what's going on in bc well i know nathan rourke's had a great year but bc's looking like a good team like you know they're one of the top teams in the east or sorry not the east in the cfl you know it's gotten bad when we're calling out for the return of campbell eh? (laughs) well just uh, you know going back to it the whole thing was it was rick campbell or marcel desjardin you know you know and it turned out to be well marcel desjardin rick campbell walked he wanted a little bit more power and he went to bc they brought him in and scooped him up right away and they struggled a bit then they started to figure things out they built his team and now they're a team that I know the injury to Nathan Rourke the other night is yeah. scary for a lot of BC Lions fans and them. But, you know, for a Canadian quarterback to have that success and young and, you know, just a couple of years removed from your favorite college football team, the Ohio Bobcats. But um, <laughs> it just a, you know, a guy that was exciting to watch and an absolute stud if you could market him. I'm sure the NFL would have maybe given him a look after this year or so. But he's someone that was marketable. And you just look at the BC Lions and, and Rick Campbell and what he's done there. And you see guys like Dominic Brown who was here in Ottawa having a great season with Nathan Rourke. But um, it just – you see the last couple of years, the way things have gone, and, you know, I'm not trying to call it OSEG, but it just looks like uh, decisions have been made and it hasn't been very good. And they're you know, too patient sometimes, right? Like how long they stuck sure. with Desjardins and now how long they're sticking with La Police. I, actually, maybe one of the funniest tweets I saw on Friday night was defund La Police, which was uh, <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty that's... good. <laughs> There's signs about that yeah. at the stadium, which is also not good to have no. either. But, you know, it's stuff like that. Where but it like is funny. It just, it's objectively funny. <laughs> yeah. You, you go back to the last couple of years and you look at a guy like Devontae Dedman and, you know, he earned a chance with the Miami Dolphins because he was the only bright spot on a team yeah. last year. Yeah. Like he was a guy that was, you know, he went and he was their representative as an, you know, an MVP and he went to the great cup. And I remember seeing him, he sat in the stands with fans on his own watching the Grey Cup hmm. last year, because hmm. that's how addicted, like you know, addicted to this guy is and dedicated he is to the game and loves football. Yeah, he went and just watched the Grey Cup with fans. That's awesome because he just wanted to watch the game because it's how much he he loves and cares and wanted to get back. But this guy that you look at the last couple of years, like what else can you say has been a positive? It's, you know, you, yep. you, like I said, small things here and there, but the only positive has been Devontae Dedman, like you said, like going through, all right, no, Rick Campbell's gone. All right, now you brought in Paul Apples. There was excitement around yep, that. There was, was a lot of excitement around that. And then it just, you know, here comes Nick Arbuckle. Well, then that didn't happen. Nope. And then, like you said, the firing of Marcel Desjardins, slow start by Paul Apples that resulted in the firing pretty much of uh, Marcel Desjardins. You then look at everything that's happened this year, and it's like, okay, so much hype. Bring in Masoli. Bring in all these free agents. You know, some big games against Winnipeg. The injury to, you know, Masoli really started to, you know, be the thing. Well, it was the first, you know, tree to fall, but then you kind of kept looking at it, and it's like it's just getting to a point where it's it's getting way too repetitive, and, you know, there needs to be some kind of accountability. Totally agree, my man. Why don't we get into the thing that you and I are both most buzzing about on uh, here on a Sunday 
that was UFC 278. And it's fascinating, man. This is one of those cards that um, I know you had said, you know, uh, we were trading messages there on Twitter. And the card itself wasn't that strong. But it was one of those main events. You know, when Kamaru Usman fights, you need to take a look at that. And and Leon Edwards is a guy that a lot of people have been pulling for for a while. He kind of got screwed a few different times. There was times it kind of looked like Dana had it out for him a little bit, like he wasn't fighting when Dana wanted him to. But this is a guy who signed on to fight the monster, Hamzat Shemeyev, three different times. And each time it was taken away either because of the pandemic or travel restrictions or whatever. Um, he ends up getting punched by Jorge Masvidal. And he wants to turn that into a fight. Um, and ends up it ends up going Masvidal moves on and fights Usman instead. Covington gets multiple shots before Leon Edwards gets his. It's been six, seven years since Edwards had a shot at Usman, and he knew this was going to be it. And for those who didn't see it, for those who aren't big MMA fans, Kamara Usman is probably, or was going into this, and, and we'll talk about this, the best in the world, best pound for pound in the UFC, and he's he's on the verge of setting these records and tying these records of, you know, most consecutive title defenses and most wins to start a career in the UFC. And this guy is solidly in the category, you know, to be discussed as one of the greatest of all time. And he comes out and Leon Edwards, to his credit, has a really good first round and makes it look like this is going to be competitive. And then Usman easily takes round two, easily takes round three, easily takes round four. And it looks like is easily going to take round five until there are 58 seconds left. And Leon Edwards buries a kick into the head of Usman and knocks him out cold and wins the welterweight championship. This was an uninteresting card. It looked like it was going to be an uninteresting main event. And with less than a minute left in it, it becomes one of the biggest stories of the year in mixed martial arts. Yeah, and I feel like this is one where I don't know. I, I and I'm a huge Usman fan. We've talked about this yeah. the last little bit, but I didn't like how he was starting to look at. You know what? I'm I'm going to move up. Well, you know, we should say this. Guy- say I I should have teed you up better, man. You said before this fight started. I just got a feeling. I just yeah. I just I don't know about this. I got a feeling right now, and because we had started to hear, yeah, Edwards maybe wants to box can or. Uh, excuse me, Usman, maybe he wants to box Canelo or maybe he wants to move up to light heavyweight mm-hmm. and his focus is all over the place and you're just sort of like, I, I don't know about this. And I was sort of like, whatever, he's going to clean this guy's clock. But you yeah. were right, man. Well, it was, uh, well, it somewhat was right, but at the same time, it, it's more of a, whenever you hear of a champion and he's focusing more down the road than he is on the guy in front of him. Yeah. That's never a good sign. So that's where I was getting the weird vibes. And it's like, you know what? Leon Edwards is a good fighter. This is a guy that's, sure. uh, he's been on quite a record, like quite a run. He had the no contest against Muhammad a couple, um, I yeah, believe the, the it was last year. Eye, yeah. yeah. But his last loss was to Kamara Usman back in 2015. Yeah. Like this guy has, hasn't lost since then, other than the no contest where it was the accidental eye poke. But you go down and, like, you know, you look at the Nate Diaz fight, and that was one where Leon Edwards cleaned it up. But then here comes the fifth round, and Nate, uh, here comes Nate Diaz, and he's like, hey, I'm Nate Diaz, so yeah. I'm a zombie. I'm going to just absolutely shock you. And he, you know, he hit him a couple times, tagged him. Yeah, right at the very um, end. Yeah. 
Yeah, but so going into this fight, it was kind of like I had the weird vibes because I'm just like, you know what? Like, Usman's been talking a lot more than he normally does. He's been bringing up a lot of things that you don't want to really hear from a champion. You kind of want a champion to focus, and that's the one thing. Like, I'll always love and say GSP is the GOAT because he was such a pioneer as a champion of a guy that never really cared about everything else. He cared about the fight he was fighting, and that's it. He didn't he try, he wasn't out trying to become a movie star. He's not talking no. about fucking around in other divisions. He's just, no. this is what I do. I I fight the guy you put in front of me and I focus on that. And people thought he was boring for it and that's fine, but that's why he was so great for so long. Yeah, and, and that's the problem. And, you know, I, I like, uh, you know, Alexander Volkanovsky because I kind of compare him to that same sense. Um, but even he still, he doesn't talk so much. He's been talking about getting up and, and as well, moving up in a weight division, but he's not as very, like, uh, in on the mic as much. And I feel like he's a guy that, knows what he's doing and as a champion and I like it. And, you know, I understand why he'd want to move up because he's also been cleaning out that division. But at the same time for Usman to be doing that, when guys like Hamzat Shmaya is sitting right there, been trying to get a fight with him mm-hmm. for quite some time. And it's just like, he's kind of avoiding it. It's like, okay. And then now, okay, you have Leon Edwards here for your second and you're already talking about moving to light heavyweight. It's like, okay, all right. And then you see the first round go by and it's like, holy shit. Like, you know, like, here comes Leon Edwards, and yep. he kind of stunned him, took him down, had him in full mount, fed him a couple shots. Took his and, back, yeah. You know, I think I took a 10-9 round, I believe, right away from yep. Mara Usman, and it was just like, okay. And you could see that in that second round, that sense of, oh, my God, like, Kamara Usman just came out, like, guns blazing, like, desperate almost, just how he was embarrassed. That was the first ever takedown attempt successfully taken on Yeah, first on, time he's been taken Kamara down Usman. in the UFC. <laughs> Yeah, he was 31-0 and in takedown defense, and that one was the first one. And then getting full mounted and getting, you know, kind of hit pretty hard yep. when he was down there. It was like, okay. And then the second round came, and it's like, whoa. Okay, here's, Leon. Like, here's what we expected from Usman, right? Yeah, and like you said, it, it kind of just went the same way up until the fifth round. And I think the the you know the other video that went viral last night was his coach getting in his face, and it actually sounded like you know his nickname is Rocky, but it sounded like Mickey in the corner of Rocky just screaming at him to get it together, and he's swearing and he's in his face and. They just dropping bombs on him and calling him out, saying, "You know, don't feel sorry for yourself. You got to get going." Like, and it, it felt like a Rocky movie, yes. Which is just kind of the whole part of it. But then he gets out there, and most of that fifth round is, you know, he he had a couple shots, a couple times, but then not much going on. And to see, you know, he was done. Guys like His Rogan body language and, was terrible. Like he's just he like exhausted. this is over. Yeah, I know you're right. He was bagged too. We can talk about yeah. that a little bit, right? This was at altitude in in Utah. Um, yeah, where Kamaru Usman trains in Denver, so he's used to that, and everything about that fifth round, man. He his body language was fuck. His looked like his coaches had given up. His coaches in the fifth round are just yelling at him, "Get up!" Like they're not giving him strategy. Yeah. They're not giving him anything. Like they're just as frazzled. This is done. And as you, you know, Joe Rogan and the uh, and Daniel Cormier on the broadcast, they're already discussing Leon Edwards' eulogy, basically, like, and, and memorializing him, because this is over. And everything about this was so fucked up, man. You said yourself, like, you pointed out, his last loss is in, uh, in 2015 to Usman, and he's tried over and over again to get to this title fight. He can't get it. He's getting, you know, no contests thrown at him with eye pokes, and he's got three different fights canceled because of the pandemic. And he's not really a finisher either. Right. So once you're down three to one going into that fifth round, it's over. 
he's not a guy who finishes people. He kind of his best chance to beat Usman was to go to the judges after five rounds of kind of hopefully just making it complicated, being on the ground, all these sorts of things. And he kind of throws this fake left jab that causes Usman to duck into a follow up right kick. Everything about this was just stunning because it was done. And to his post-fight press conference, he's saying, look at me now. Look at me. Like, what are you going to say about me now? Because forever it was, he can't finish people. He's not good enough to be the champ. He's never going to beat Usman. He's always, for some reason, been the guy that had everything thrown in front of him. And to watch him in that post-fight press conference going, what do you say about me now? What's left to say now? It was yeah. incredible, man. And it was fucked up as much as anything else. Like, so yeah. many people on Twitter... I'm sorry, I, I keep rambling because this thing blew my mind, man. But so many people on Twitter were saying things like... And I, and I know you have a similar story. But, like, I didn't see the finish because I looked down to check Twitter. Like, there's a minute left in a fight that Usman has clearly won. So, they're they're preparing... Like, reporters are starting to prepare their, you know, their post-fight... Uh, interviews or their articles or whatever. People are checking Twitter to see what, like, we are just riding out the final minute here because this thing is done. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this head kick that knocks the champ loopy and not just like out to end a fight, out like he was fucked up for five or 10 minutes. When you saw him leave the octagon and walk down the aisle, he was wobbly, man. He got absolutely crushed. Oh, yeah. And he went right to the hospital yeah. right after that. Yeah. And no, just it, it was like you said, the perfect setup by Leon. It just with the fake jab and the leg kick to the head. And like you said, this guy that he has like one knockout in the last since, you know, before he lost to Kamaru Usman in 2015. And it just, you know, TKO punches like the KO head kick. Like, man, that was unreal. And yeah. it was just it, like you said, the image of Usman getting like the crumbling, the tree falling, and then <laughs> just laying there. And then, like Edwards and his 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 team just going nuts and like you said the you know what are you gonna say about me now him jumping up with the belt on the cage and just standing there like getting the fans going him calling his mom like it was so intense and to hear some of the backstories of you know he was a his mom and they didn't have much growing up and his mom in MMA changed Jamaica, his life again. yeah. Yeah, first Jamaican-born uh, UFC champion. Like, that was uh, another thing they brought up last night. But seeing him go through everything and being put in MA when he was 17, 18 years old because his mom didn't want him getting into trouble. And then what it did for him was cause a whole avenue of, you know, success. And, and look at him now. He's a guy that's just so – he's on top of the world. And just you love to see it. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for a good underdog story. Like I said, I, I like Kamaru Usman. He's one of my favorite of fighters course, to watch. Yeah. and. I think he's so technical and so exciting to watch as a fighter. You know, you can bring up the boringness all you want, but I just, I actually just love watching him fight. I think he has such a great style. And well, we talked about it, right? This card was supposed to be a dud, but when Usman fights, you want to watch it. So you yeah. order it. And it yeah. wasn't because I expected him to get knocked out in the final minute. It was because I, w- I love watching that guy fight. And no, here I, we are. It's, it was, we were all flabbergasted. It, it was over, man. The fight was over. And that's one of the greatest things about MMA. For 24 minutes, you were watching this go exactly the way you thought it was going to go. And then with 58 seconds left in the fight, it's the complete opposite of what you expected. And I, I was the only one left awake here. And I jumped up when that happened. I could not believe that I had mm-hmm. just witnessed that. And that's the beauty of this sport, man. I want to pick your brain on this. There are people talking, is this the most shocking moment like this? Where does this rank? 
the one that jumps to mind for a lot of people is Holly Holm beating Ronda Rousey yeah. that first time where Rousey was the prohibitive favorite. She had destroyed everybody. The only difference being Holly Holm finished her, but Holly Holm was a kickboxer. Like I said, Leon Edwards doesn't finish people with knockouts. That's not what he does. And so even that part of it is shocking. But that's the level we're talking about here. Nobody expected him to do this. And then even when it looked like it was all over at the very end and we had gotten to that, um, you know, that, that final minute, they still, he pulls it out of the fire, man. Like, is there anything else that jumps to mind for you in terms of where this fits in terms of all-time MMA finishes? Because to me, the only one that is really coming to mind is that Holly Holm, Ronda Rousey fight. Yeah, that, that's the easy one that really jumps right, out thanks. at everybody right away. <laughs> you know, there's been there's so many times where I, I, I believe was a Derek Lewis a couple of years ago where he had the last second knockout of Francis Ngannou. Not yeah. Francis Ngannou. Um, uh, Alistair Overeem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Alistair Overeem and Francis Ngannou. It might have been right there where it was, you know, it was a one-sided fight. But, you, you know, you get down to it, and that's the biggest one because the belt was on the line, and it was easy, and it was Ronda Rousey, right? She was dominating the, the game Yeah, to see that happen. It, Holly it Holm just, was just supposed to be the next victim, and boom, yeah. finished her. Changed yeah, the entire trajectory of the women's game. Like, Ronda was never the same after that. No, I, I believe she only had one other yeah, fight after left. that and yeah. knocked out and she, you know, tried to become a wrestler yep. um, in WWE, not the <laughs> right kind of wrestling. Um, but in that sense, it's like, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's crazy. And, and that's the thing too, because Leon Edwards is a guy that, you know, we saw a lot of firsts for him, like Kamara Usman on the other side of it, right? Like you go back to the Gilbert Burns fight and that was the first time he really got tagged really hard. And then you see a guy like Colby Covington just take an absolute beating to him, land a couple shots, but not many. And then, like I said, you had the uh, Gilbert Burns, but then to see him get taken down and fed that way, and then to see him get knocked out like this, it, you know, the one thing I'm curious to see is, and, you know, we heard after the after the fight from Dana White saying that he wants to see the trilogy fight in Wembley and take this fight to England for uh, Leon Edwards, which would be absolutely bonkers, be just because of the amount of English fighters you have coming up right now from the UK. Where I know Aspinall has a knee injury that he just dealt with, and you know his uh, fight against Curtis Blades, but you know with uh, Patty Pimblet, you your boy Patty Pimblet, Patty the Batty, Patty the Batty. <laughs> I don't know if you saw last night, but he was on the he was on the Gronk cast last night oh, talking about he? how he he's gained fifty pounds since his fight a couple weeks ago. He's <laughs> the guy that he's notably brought Relatable. up before that he. Yeah, he'd rather be fat and happy than, you know, not fat. And, you know, he has no problem cutting weight in between fights and getting <laughs> down. But he was up over 200 pounds since his fight, and he was joking with the Gronks. But, shit. you know, you got Patty the Batty, and I know you. we have uh, Molly McCann. She's yeah. fighting, uh, I believe, in uh, UFC 281 in Madison Square Garden, uh, which they were hoping to have them both there fighting. But it doesn't look like Patty's going to get a fight before then. Um, but you know, there is a good like, group of them all coming up right now and for Leon Edwards, like that'd be great for them. But how does Kamara Usman respond to this? Like how does like, um, seeing a lot of people, when you get knocked out like that, that changes the way you fight. Yep. Like it changes your mentality of where you, and how you do things, but how does it change it? Do you use it to your advantage? Does it affect the way you fight because you're a little bit more hesitant to get well, even physically did are you ever the same again, right? Like, might you be tagged? Right. Like, this is uh, this is really interesting where this goes from here. Because next month is 279, and it's Hamza Chemaev versus Nate Diaz. And this was assumed Diaz is just being fed 
to Chimeyev, and Usman was supposed to beat Edwards, and then it's Chimeyev versus Usman for the title, you know, probably early next year. And this changes everything. Do you have to go right back and give Usman the rematch? Like, traditionally, that's what you would do. Usman is that good. He's not a fluke champ. This is one of the best ever. He deserves a rematch. But then you're asking Hamzat Shemaev to wait again? Like, who's left to feed to him? Like, a lot of people are ducking that guy because they don't want to fight him. Mm-hmm. Uh, or do you continue down the road of Chimeev versus Edwards now and you give Usman a little time to recover instead of making him fight again. The the other problem is they're sort of locked in here because in obviously they're not going to be ready by like October, November. So December, I believe is pretty much booked up January. They're going to Brazil. So they don't want to, I mean, you could, but they're going to want to put Brazilian fighters on that, right? You're not going to send that fight to Brazil. February might be Australia. I could be wrong on that. You could do it there, but like are we going to wait till March to see whichever one is next? Or do you, like you said, uh, he mentioned Wembley Stadium. That's a huge stadium to try and fill. And Leon Edwards, God love him, and he is British and everything. He's not necessarily that guy, right? That super popular name that would help you sell out uh, Wembley Stadium. Like, you could insert a British show in there somewhere, and they did want to do... they talked about doing uh, this fight in, in I don't know, July 30th over in England or something, and, and mm-hmm. Usman wasn't going to be ready. Like, this gets complicated. I, how would you, what do you want to do next? And, and would you pigeonhole another extra pay-per-view in there somewhere between now and March to make it happen? Or are you going to throw this on another card? And, like, who's, who's Edwards getting next? Is it going to be Chimeyev or is it going to be a rematch with Usman? Yeah, I mean, well, there's a lot of avenues to go down, and a lot of it is going to depend on Kamar Usman, first off, because um, does he want the rematch right away? Does he need some time to recover after this knockout? Is Leon Edwards ready to go more sooner, and does he have uh, opponents to fight? Absolutely. Like you said, Shemayev, which I'm assuming and predicting he's going to probably handle Nate Diaz with yeah. ease. But then you look at that division, and you know a guy like Colby Covenant is sitting there, and I know he doesn't need a, another title shot right now and doesn't deserve one, um, After especially he had his fight with Jorge Masvidal. Then he gets soccer punched outside of a restaurant yeah. by uh, Jorge Masvidal. And then so he's still sitting there as the number one contender. But then you know you have other guys, and a big fight that's coming up is Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady. And Sean Brady's undefeated. That's coming up on that huge 280 yeah. card. That's yeah, number seven ranked welterweight right now. And if he wins that fight, that's going to put him in a spot where he's into the top five. Yeah. So there is a guy to kind of fight against Hamza Chimaev. I still think that Colby Covington should be that guy, and it shouldn't be uh, Nate Diaz right now. But if, you know, I'm assuming we'll wait a good bit here because they want the trilogy. But sometimes, the, you know, I've heard from a former champions, I believe it was. Uh, Daniel Cormier hmm. when he was getting into it uh, with Stephen with Miocic and how sometimes it's good to get in a fight in, not jump right back to a title hmm. fight. And I know that was absolutely the difference when we've seen guys like Devious and Figueredo and Brendan Moreno fight yeah. three times in a row, basically. And they're about to fight a fourth <laughs> time in five fights pretty much. So <laughs> it's kind of silly, but it's also like, yeah, you know, it's up to the champ in this spot, but that would be great. And like you said, the schedule is a little bit of a conflict. So we'd have to wait and see how things go. But I believe that if Kamaru Usman wants to, he can put that in there. And, you know, he's the kind of champion that you have to, 
right? Like he has his yeah. loss since. England, well, that was the, the thing, right? Like, did you want to make Usman as the champion go to England to fight Edwards? I don't know. That doesn't make a ton of sense. It does now. Now that Edwards is yeah. the champ, now you could book something in in England, pigeonhole it in, maybe like New Year's Eve or something, kind of between. Not New Year's. I don't know what day of the week that is, but you know what I'm saying. Like somewhere in between that December and January card, you could build something around that mm-hmm. fight, and uh, you know, put a number on it and 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 do it. It's going to be interesting. Um, so you're you're suggesting maybe let Usman fight someone else first, though. Well, I would say Leon Edwards. I'd assume, like I said, I'm just going to assume based on the injury that, you know, there could be a lot of things. He could have a broken jaw, Kamaru Usman. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he concussed. So he's going to be a few weeks before he probably gets into full-on training again if it's so a broken have jaw. Edwards to kind of fill the gap. It could, yeah. <laughs> it could. Or it, you could Congratulations, get a Leon Edwards. Here's Hamzat Shemayev. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. But it's same. Well, hey, they were supposed to fight a couple times yeah, now, right? Yeah. But, uh, it all depends because usually there is already a good distance in between title fights. Yeah. But if they want to wait, like I'm just saying that there is options there. I believe it will be up to Usman and the injury and, and how much he dealt with. And, hey, like. Edwards got tagged a good bit and oh, beat yeah. up a little while. So maybe he needs some time to recover as well. So the trilogy in England makes sense, you know, maybe February, something like that next year, January. I don't know. Like you said, a lot of it will depend on how serious the injuries were to Kamaru Usman, how bad he is, how much he wants to. And if he wants that title fight right away, maybe he'd want to go get another fight in against who knows who in that division, but sure. just someone to kind of get his, you know, grounds back before he, you know, puts himself back into a title fight because, you know, unlike Moreno and Davis and Figueredo, usually when you lose that title fight, it takes you a little while to get right back there. Yeah. So it's a sense of, but he's okay, a like special he just, guy, right? Like, well, that, and that's the thing, but, but if he, you know, if he does, I just say with the amount of guys that are kind of sitting there right now, like I said, Colby Covington hasn't fought since Jorge Masvidal. There's not really any news if he's going to fight. Yeah. I know that he was offered a Shemaev fight that they were all talking about. He hasn't really taken it. Those two have had a little bit of beef. You know, Gilbert Burns had a great fight yeah. against Hamza Shemaev. He's dropped down to number four, but he's also kind of sitting there. And like I said, with Mo- Mohammed and, and Sean Brady fighting, Mohammed's the number fifth ranked welterweight right now. Number seven, Sean Brady's undefeated. If he comes in with a crazy, you no knockout or whatever he could put himself in a mix of a top five fight yeah there's enough in the welterweight division right now to you don't need to give out title fights but you can start kind of giving it a couple weeks and then we'll start seeing who's next because you know you're getting to spots now where francis and ganu i know he got hurt and he, he fought about a month or two ago or a little while ago but you know you're going to start wanting to hear what his next fight is and i know john jones put out the eyeballs of ufc 282 so people are starting to look at that next pay-per-view yeah that, i think that's the gonna- december card they were talking with him they wanted yeah. to do in ganu but i it looks like in won't be ready and maybe he'll fight miocic in december um yeah. which would be interesting yeah, yeah not interesting i don't like that all right all. um <laughs> I, I, yeah <laughs> I, i'm more i'm more sour on john jones but yeah, i also yeah. feel like Stephen Mayocic didn't look very good in his last fight against francis and gano and no. just you know i'm not i'm not saying he should have retired but i kind of wish he did in that sense because <laughs> you know he went out on top i believe he should have with his win against daniel cormier and you know just his legacy was there and i, I um I just I don't like seeing guys. We saw it with Cowboy, where they're constantly losing. You know, Luke Rockhold. We haven't got to him, but you know, his fight where 
these guys they, they go out on losses and it's like i know it's harder to go out you never know when you get into that octagon yeah. if you're gonna win or lose but it's kind of unfortunate and a shitty feeling seeing guys like cowboy and luke rockhold be like you know what i just yeah, i don't have it in me anymore yeah. i don't have it yeah and it's like you know he's had some great chances and fights and you're right there and it's like don't put him in a spot where you know they look bad and so for me i'm not saying that is it but for john jones like i already know how talented he is of a fighter and he's put on quite their weight i don't like the guy as a person at all but to see him getting in there against a much older smaller sized heavyweight it's just a recipe for i don't really care um i'm gonna say that john jones probably gonna win that but i I feel you um at at this point in the welterweight division right we probably just wait and let 279 yeah. play out, make sure Chimeyev actually wins and Diaz doesn't shock the world there. If Chimeyev wins and Usman needs some time, then yeah, maybe that is what you do, right? Because that card is mid-September, that uh, 279 card. Maybe you look at doing something between January and February's cards where it's Chimeyev versus Edwards and give Usman a little time if he needs it and he can fight, whatever, Covington again or maybe Bilal yeah. Muhammad. By the time this is all said and done, um, yeah, because they fought, him and Sean Brady fight at uh, 280, UFC 280. We're, we're yeah, going to do that up. You, me, you, and Creech will do a pre-show, <laughs> and then I think, uh, yeah, we're going to try and, and get together to watch that one, and maybe have a an intoxicated post-game show or, or something here on TCA. We'll see what that looks like. That's an afternoon card. That 280 card is looking stacked. So, um, Ooh, is it ever stacked? Is it ever stacked? So, lots going on though, and and just for me. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of Usman. I, I'm curious to see how he rebounds, but also what he wants next. And, you know, you kind of want to see him get back in that octagon right away and get that belt back. Uh, I'm excited to see it because it adds intrigue. I'd still bet the house on him, eh? Like in a rematch, yeah. I'll still take Usman to hey, take and, it off. You know, well, you should. Like this yeah, yeah. is a guy that absolutely it's different. And I think, uh, you know, just seeing a lot of people talk, I think one of the more surprising things is how long he was able to hold on to that title and how successful he has it's been in the so UFC. It's so hard. People don't understand do like, that. No matter how yeah. good you are, it just takes one shot. It just takes one mistake. And all of a sudden someone's got your back or someone's kicking you in the head or what? It doesn't matter how great you are. You know, GSP, Matt Sarah, right? You're just like, Matt Sarah is yeah. not better than GSP, but that night he was. He made that one move and he, this happens, right? It's so impressive to get as deep as Kamaru Usman did. And look, if he'd have won this one, yeah, now he's he's got a couple records or he's tied a couple records and everything, but you can't take anything away from that guy and how long he did hold on to it because it's just one of those games, like MMA is just one of those sports where, it just takes one mistake, and you're going down, and that's mm-hmm. what happened, man. This was uh, absolutely incredible. I want to ask you before we get out of here. For me, if I'm being honest with you, there was nothing else on this card I gave a shit about. The uh, the co-main <laughs> turned out to be reasonably entertaining um, with uh, Luke Rockhold and Paolo Costa. I, look, Luke, he was gassed right after like round one and he said as much afterward that that basically the famous uh, lieutenant murtaugh case i'm getting too old for this shit right <laughs> so, yeah. and he basically announced his retirement is there anything else on this card like I, I i checked this card out based on one fight and it was that main event i watched some of the other ones and i, I checked back in this morning because uh, i missed the first one uh watching the overtime from the world junior game i wanted to make sure i saw everything there was nothing there that uh that interested me all that much, but the co-main was entertaining 
Um, but maybe for the wrong. Was there anything else on this card you found compelling? Um, yeah, I was kind of just watching for you know random. Like I said, I, I only I didn't turn it on for much of it. I looked at the card. The only intrigue I saw was Francisco Figueredo, which is the younger brother to Divas and Figueredo, yeah. was fighting on the early prelims and he ended up losing uh, anyways. So it wasn't very something that I was super interested in. But um, I was curious to see. Uh, how Marab would do against Jose Aldo, and that fight yeah. was a dud. Yeah. Um, Dana White calling out Marab, saying he didn't really like it. Jose Aldo, you know, was kind of frustrated throughout the fight that all he did was want to grapple him and pin him against the cage. Did it look to you a like a lot of these guys were struggling with the altitude? Like, there was a lot of fights where, yeah. as they dragged on, the oxygen got a little thin. I don't know. Like, yeah. there was a lot that if they went deep, they just turned out to be shit. I, this wasn't a good card, man. No, no. And, you know, even just watching Costa versus uh, Rockhold and, you know, like, like that was the one, there was a little bit of intrigue there, but yeah. mainly like I, I've, I've really lost my feel for a guy like Paulo Costa. I've never, I was never a huge fan, but then um, I lost a little bit more respect for him when you hear him talk so much garbage all the time. And then he lost, uh, he got beat up pretty bad uh, to Israel Adesanya. And then next thing you know, he's, Oh, it's because I was uh, drinking wine all night to deal with my nerves. And then <laughs> he's got excuses coming yeah, out of his relatable. rear end about, yeah. So I kind of wasn't super into him. And Luke Rockhold is a guy that like pioneer for that division, um, you know, loved, you know, how silly he is. Never a huge fan of him, but just a kind of respectable guy. Like well, basically you know, made his, his name on that one fight with Bisping, right? Back several years yeah. ago now. And, and that kind of made his career and, and that's fine. But it was funny. I got to be honest with you. I didn't know how old Luke Rockhold was. And so when he was saying at the end, I'm getting too old for this shit. And he'd said it basically a few times. And I checked it out. I think uh, Google said he was 36. And I'm like, oh, he's like, right. th- yeah, he's 37. Like it's, he's an older. <laughs> That's younger than me. That's the part that was bumming me. Out. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, I'm too old for this shit. I'm like this fucking yeah. guy. Like <laughs> Oh, just and for a guy that's been fighting for you know twenty years or so, right? He hasn't yeah. won a fight since you know two thousand seventeen, I believe. But you know, in losses and tough lot, he hasn't fought in so many years, which yeah. is incredible. And he's been through injuries and personal. And him and Dana White have never really got along. But no. you know, first fight since twenty nineteen, it was kind of like you're okay. You're getting thrown in there against a guy that's known as one of the better boxers in the division. A little yeah. wild kind of guy and it was interesting to see him take him down right away and Paulo Costa kind of do his, his thing but it's a guy that you go back throughout the years and you know, he's been fighting since 2007 but he's been in the UFC since 2013 and he just has some big time like fights and you're like oh man like you know winning the title against Chris Weidman and then losing to Bisping and then you know losing to uh, you know Yoel Romero and uh, yeah. Just there's been a couple fights where it's like okay, and then has lost against Jan Bokovic in 2019. It's like okay, like you know, like I said, he's kind of a pioneer and and, and a guy that you have respect for. But like I was with you, I wasn't super into in a lot of these fights. The only thing I did like about it is seeing Paulo Costa come out to DMX. X gonna give it to you. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Yeah. He had his magical juice that he was walking around with, and I know he dealt with a crazy week by you know Usada showing up and blood testing him like at 7 a.m. The day he's on supposed to be trying to, day. yeah, That's weight so cut fucked. day. So it's like there's so much going on where he did overcome a lot, but then you know seeing Rockhold in the first round and second round with his hands on his knees, 
gassed and oh, it's like yeah. you kind of felt bad because then you throw the age factor you throw the fact that he hasn't fought in the octagon and since 2019 it's just like he's kind of set up for disaster here and you know and it was interesting because he he took off his mitts but he didn't leave him in the octagon no. so i don't know if it is his official last fight i mean maybe that was it more. like he kept kind of alluding to it like i don't know but he didn't officially say I'm officially done, right? It, it, yeah. it, it, he sort of left that kind of hanging out there a little bit. So that was, inter- but I, I got like, I don't know how many more times I really need to see that guy fight, right? Like, no, and that's where, like I said, you get into these spots where I, I hate seeing fighters like him, where you see him kind of crying a little bit, talking about, you know, he's too old, he doesn't have it anymore. And it's like hearing guys like Cowboy being like, I don't love it. And it's like, you know, you, they're kind of just doing it, but they're just doing it, but they're not in love with it anymore. And it's like, yeah, and you're also losing it. Like you're not just like not in love with it, so it maybe affects the way you train, whatever. But it's also like your skills. You're getting older. Your skills are declining. So yeah. you get into the octagon with some of these bigger name guys, and like you know, you see Luke Rockhold, you know, saying "fuck you" and then dropping a left on a guy like Paulo Costa, but <laughs> it's not really affecting him. That's something like a couple of years ago would probably knock him out. Right? He doesn't have yeah. that power anymore. Probably because he's absolutely fatigued. You see him on full mount, and he's rubbing the blood all over his face, and it's just like they're just that was sick so fucks. Weird. And yeah. it's <laughs> we really weird. I, I don't You're know. It's funny. Fuck. It's You're weird. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like this. It was like, all right. So, no, there wasn't much else on this no. card that really had me going, but I did watch, you know, those last three fights. And, you know, like I said, there two of them were underwhelming. And, you know, thank God for the crazy knockout. But, yeah, it was, uh, you know, like I said, I'm curious to see how things transition over the next couple of weeks here with that division. Yeah. With uh, 279 coming at you with Diaz and, and Shemayev and then 280. Man, that's going to be a huge card, and uh, and you, me, and Creech will do something up there uh, around that one. But um, it'll sort of sort itself out, and right now we don't really know uh, how bad Usman is hurt, and uh, that'll all kind of sort itself. But it is an interesting time, and you know when you talk about guys like uh, Luke Rockhold and, and whatever, this is one of those sports like you you can if you're just a guy like in almost any other sport, if you're still good enough. And you just need to make a couple extra bucks, right? You're trying to set your family up or you've been through some hard times or whatever. Like you can find somebody that will sign you to play third line left wing down in Carolina or something like that. And you can grind it an extra couple of years into your career to make some money. You're getting punched in the face by absolute killers in this business. Once you know you're done, once you're considering retirement, you got to go, right? This can't, this is one of those things that can't become a job. This is a, it's it's too dangerous, right? There's too much on the line, and and it's one of those sports where they say like once you've begun to think about retirement, you better just retire. Because uh, so hopefully that's what happens with uh, with Rockhold here. Because uh, yeah, he's had an interesting career, but it doesn't look like there's much left in the tank. Uh, that's all I had on the uh, the agenda for today, man. Um, anything else you wanted to get to on today's show? Um, I mean, UFC 279 coming up, we have Shemaya versus Diaz. That's a couple of weeks away in September 10th, but that is a fight where it's like, I, I am also, you want to bring up that fight. Like, I know it's Nate Diaz last fight. He's wanted to be let go forever. Like you said, it kind of seems like they were like, all right, well, here you go. You're going to get you, your last fight is Hamza Shemaya or whatever. Yeah. For um, people who don't I'm, understand, like I, I, the contracts in the UFC work as you have one fight left and you also have a certain amount of time left. So for a year, he's been asking to be let go because he wants to go do something else and make some money and the UFC isn't using him anymore, but they don't want him to go make money somewhere else. 
So they wrote out the entire calendar, and once it was about to end, like, by the way, we'll throw you that last fight, and it's going to be against, you're going to get fed to Chimaev, who no one else wants to fight. So that's how that is has played out, right? Like, because Diaz has a name. He can go to whatever, Triller or whatever you might want to do there and uh, and box somebody or fight somebody. They didn't want him to do that, right? So that's why this has played out the way it is. That's, that 279 card is all about um, Chimaev getting fed a big name, and I don't know. I've never been a big Diaz fan. I know you're not either, but he could fuck with the UFC in a pretty big way if they if he was somehow able to beat Shemayev and then walk out the door to go somewhere else. Yeah, which I mean, I never want to say never because we've already no. talked about how like the thing it's a it's a puncher's chance and it sure. normally doesn't happen. But like you look back Possible. to you know Amanda Nunes and yeah. how she fought and yeah. you know how she got her title back. But you know that first fight was very tough for her a couple uh, months ago. But you know for for Nate Diaz, I don't see it. I'm not feeling it, but he's in a spot now where he's kind of left high and dry and it's the last fight in the UFC. And, you know, I know we don't love him as much, but you know, the fans love him and he's yeah, a guy that puts on the show. Poorly. And yeah, you know, he's, he's a guy that, you know, you have to respect what he's done in the octagon 100%. because he's just such a monster. So that was just something I want to bring up because I'm not sure if we'll get another chance to talk about it before that. And also the big news time. came as well from Dana White on the Gronk cast last night <laughs> talking about how he was pretty much right there in the lead hand and trying to get Tom Brady and Gronk <laughs> to the Las Vegas Raiders and John Gruden nixed it and how I don't, buy it i don't think dana white really had that much pull no to get, and how pretty much it was that it was dana white that or sorry it was john gruden that axed it but dana white said oh no tom was looking at houses yeah gronk was coming out and gronk didn't want to get too involved in it no. he kind of just shut up and let dana white say oh i almost had these guys here and then it seemed like when tom brady has won that uh super bowl in tampa that first year ever since then it's who's been the team that was also involved that was looking for it. And, and you know, there's the clip of Tom Brady saying, Hey, uh, you know, he at the barbershop episodes that they do. Um, and he's sitting there and he's like, you guys are taking that motherfucker over me. <laughs> All right. Like, and it's like, and we've been trying to figure it out for so many years. Was it Jimmy G? You know, there was other rumors of other quarterbacks, but it seems like now that the big hot thing to do is we were so close to signing Tom Brady in that 2020 year right. because he won the Super Bowl that year. If he had a loss to the Super Bowl, we wouldn't have heard anything. If we, <laughs> we had have had a down year and was injured and old and retired, we wouldn't have heard a thing. But it's funny how you hear Dana White throwing his name Dana out Dana White's a promoter, like, right? Not like that different. Yeah, yeah, not that different like than Vince an McMahon agent or something. Yeah, where I'm going to create the story, I'm going to create the buzz, I'm going to say I was involved in all of this. Dana White has nothing to do with the Vegas Raiders, and uh, look, he's an influential guy around Las Vegas, but that's about the extent of it. And yeah, um, and I'm sure they might have reached out to him about, hey, can you persuade him in some sure, way? And, maybe, uh, yeah. But I. I don't see how, oh, I was right there and I was, you know, his comments on the ground cast. I had so many people sending it to me and I was like, I don't need to hear it. I don't care. Everybody wants to almost sign Tom Brady that didn't want to have any part of him until the Bucks brought him in. It's like, all right, whatever. So, I don't know. Did you see many clips of the Gronk cast? And Not did you, a single one. Um, okay. I saw people tweeting them out. I couldn't be bothered to click on it. You and I talked about this a little bit beforehand. For people who are unfamiliar, they... The UFC advertised it a couple of weeks ago that during this particular card, there would be a simulcast. Not a, not that much different than what the NFL does with the uh, the Manning cast. And we've seen it in other sports where you can watch an alternate feed where instead of just the commentary or whatever, you can see 
uh, Eli and Peyton Manning talking about what's going on in an NFL game or whatever. So this one, I don't hate the idea of the UFC doing this. I think the UFC is a perfect sport to do something like this. But they decided to bring in Rob Gronkowski and his brothers and dad. I can't remember the whole Gronkowski family anyway. That does nothing for me. And maybe I would care more. Like, there are people out there, obviously, who are huge fans of this guy. And if you're a big NFL guy or you're a big Patriots guy or, I guess, a big Bucks guy, um, maybe you're interested in watching the fight with them. I was just sort of of the opinion that, like, there's got to be more... Like, there has to be fighters with personality available that you could watch this with, right? Like, what, like to me, Gronk, in this case, was just a name. And I understand watching football with the Mannings, right? And they'll alternate between telling stories and talking about whatever and then talking about the game that they're watching. I don't really care what Rob Gronkowski thinks about this fight. I might care about what a certain fighter talks about. Like, does that make sense? I, I know we disagree no, 100%. on... 100%. Yeah. It, it, to me, it was just the premise. Like, if we're going to do this... Give me one with a, a former fighter and and or his gym or something like that. Yeah, no, it, it was uh, I I didn't watch it personally, but I've been looking at some of the highlights and I, I do know that he had quite the list. Like having Dana White join him live, sure. um, you know, having a, a Sean O'Malley, my man Sugar Sean, <laughs> uh, he was part of it. But seeing them do what Gronk does best, but seeing him do a shoey like doing the, you know, <laughs> chugging beers out of yeah, his shoe yeah. with Tui Vasa live on the stream as well, watching them do it, it's like. Yeah, there it is. There's yeah, exactly. But that, but also just you know, seeing him do that, and like I said, Patty the Batty. Like there is a lot of highlights, and it seemed like it wasn't as bad as I thought it would have been. So I, I feel why people aren't super interested. I wasn't super interested, but there's always something funny or good that comes out of them, and no, you know, it seems like there was a couple of little highlights. So that's uh, that's about all I got for you, though. But I was uh, that was the last thing I wanted to bring up to see you. I think you tagged me in a tweet of it a couple yeah. weeks ago, and I wanted to make sure. Well, I knew that, you'd uh, be feeling it. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I watched the highlights of them, and right. I thought they were funny. Yeah, so, I don't think it was available up here in Canada anyway. I think it had to be just on ESPN Plus. But uh, yeah, you can find yeah. the, the highlights out there. We'll share some of them uh, at Tall Can Audio. Uh, Bunda, appreciate you doing this, man. And uh, like I said, it's going to be an interesting couple of months. So obviously, two eighty, we're going to try and do something up big. But even uh, between now and then, around some of these other uh, cards that are going to help set things up, we can we can drop in anytime and. And talk a little fight business. Appreciate it as always, man. Oh, thank you for one having a beer with me on a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, and also for just uh, having me on again. It's uh, always appreciated, Matty. And uh, once again, I know we've already had your big show of a thousand, but congrats again on a thousand episodes. I appreciate you making the time to uh, to put down one of the cameos there. We had a bunch of people check those out. All of those are available at tallcanaudio.com or uh, on our Tall Can Audio podcast feed uh, listed under Friends of the Show. Weigh in on episode 1000 of Tall Can Audio. We put them all out there. Uh, Bunda, one of, uh, one of the good ones who, uh, who managed to, uh, to take a little time and, and help us celebrate the occasion. So appreciate that. We'll wind this episode of Tall Can Audio down here, episode 1002. Uh, I got to tell you, man, I'm sort of tempted to stop numbering them now because it seems so <laughs> it seems so far from any other like episode 1002 or four or whatever it just seems so small now but uh, for now we'll keep doing it we'll see what this is gonna look like uh hope you all have a great week uh we will be back later on with uh i don't know something else we're still sort of wobbling through the end of the summer before uh, hockey comes back everything we're sort of half on vacation half back 
once again, thanks to Steve Bunda for making the time to do this. Give us a follow on social media at Talkin Audio, and make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Pods, wherever you are, there's a follow button, there's a subscribe button. Go ahead and hit it. For Steve Bunda, my name is Matt Robinson, and we will catch you all on the next one. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkong was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ugh.